very good to have everyone out this morning to worship God. It's good that within two weeks, well, a gospel meeting will, will, will begin, and, and so we hope that much will come good from that. This morning, we're going to continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. This will be part nine, and I, I entitled, it, entitled it Integrity. Point number one this morning is don't make foolish oaths. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, as Sean had read for us earlier this morning. Again, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. And so any oath made to God must be fulfilled. That word forswear there, for the, the phrase forswear thyself, it comes from the Greek word that means to commit perjury. And so making an oath to God and not performing it is telling an untruth. And we had uh, kind of noticed this in our uh, Bible class this morning with Pharaoh when he would say he would let the people go. But then his heart would harden. He would repent of what he said. And then he would not allow them to go. Well, he was telling what? He was telling an untruth. He was deceiving. And so if we make an oath, to the, especially to the Lord, and we don't keep it, we are, we are lying to God. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, what? He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. And so it's very, uh, we must be very cautious of what we say when we want to make these great oaths before God. Why? In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. And so God will hold man accountable to our oaths that we make to him. If a man fails to pay his vow, he has sinned against God. We have to be very careful that when we, after we obey the gospel and we come into a hardship, we don't vow to God, I will never sin against thee again. That would be a foolish vow because the Bible says if you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you and you deceive yourself. Our attitude is, I will not sin against thee again. That's an attitude. It's not a vow. God knows that we are weak-minded creatures. He doesn't expect flawlessness. He expects faithfulness. Oh, I dropped it again. My days are numbered on my clicker. Sorry about that. That would be great for the recording. When do most people make vows to God? Well, when Pharaoh said, I'll let your people go, what was happening to him? Hardship. In Psalms chapter 66, verse 13 and 14, the psalmist says, I wrote, I will go into thy house, thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered. Remember, our mouth speaks these vows. 
and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. Many times people are going to make oaths to God when they are at their low. In Judges chapter 11, verse 30, let's think about the foolish vow that Jephthah made. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands. And so Jephthah has wanted God to deliver the enemies of Israel into his hands. What will he give God in return? In Judges chapter 11, verse 31, Then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up a burnt offering. Offer it up for a burnt offering. And so Jephthah vowed to give the Lord whatever came out of his house. But he says, I know that you're going to deliver me in peace, so I'm going to do this. He's making a vow. Judges 11, verse 32. So Jephthah passed over onto the children of Ammon and to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. So God made good on his part. Judges 11, verse 34. And Jephthah came to Mesbah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him. But why was she coming out to meet him? With timbrels and, and with dances. She was, what? Celebrating the victory of her father. She knew that when she saw her father, that the God had delivered his enemies to Jephthah. And she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. Jephthah had assumed an animal would come out of those doors. He used the word whatsoever, not whosoever, whatsoever, and, and offer it a burnt offering. Judges 11, 35, And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughters, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth on the Lord, and I cannot go back. When he realized it was not just a person, but his only daughter, he was quite upset. Judges chapter 11, verse 36. And she said unto him, My father, thou hast opened thy mouth on the Lord. Do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as more, much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thy enemies, even the children of Ammon. And so she says, If you made the vow, keep it. She willingly accepts the conditions of the vow. In Judges chapter 11, verse 37, And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains, and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. I don't believe that he truly offered her for a burnt offering, and I'm going to show you why this morning. She was going to be for the service of the Lord. That is, she would never marry. She was going to remain a virgin. How was she offered for service to the Lord? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 34, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and this chapter is dealing a lot with marriage, and it's dealing about marriage under the certain distress, which was persecution. 
And so Paul says there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. Well, what's the difference between a wife and a virgin? The unmarried woman, the virgin, careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be what? Holy both in body and in spirit. But that she that is married cared for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And so her service is not going to be to a husband. Her service is going to be to our Lord. Let's look at Hannah the more uh, clarify what I'm talking about this morning. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, And she vowed a vow, Hannah did, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Hannah asked God for a male child and said if she delivered one, he would be the Lord all of his life. She was without child. But she wanted to have a child and then give it to who? The Lord. This without child was a great affliction to her. Remember the words of Rachel when we studied the book of Genesis when she was without child? Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. She felt incomplete as a woman to the point she would rather be dead. We can see how upsetting it would be for Jephthah's daughter to be deprived of that, that childbearing. Motherhood. Being someone's helpmeet. In Judges chapter 11, verse 39, it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel. He performed his vow, gave her to the service of the Lord as a perpetual virgin. Just as Samuel was going to be offered to the Lord for his service from that day forward. She, he would no longer be um, in the house of his mother, Hannah. Jephthah was no longer going to have his daughter in his house. She was going to be to serve the Lord and the Lord only. Hence, she knew no man after that vow was performed. And what was the custom in Israel? In Judges chapter 11, verse 40, that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. Not her death, but her inability to bear children because it wasn't something that uh, she was born where she couldn't have children. It was by a vow that her father made that kept her from being able to uh, have a husband, have a spouse, and then be able to bear children. Childbearing was more cherished than it is today. Remember how the, how upset Rachel was when she was unable to give seed to Jacob, uh, was unable to have a child by Jacob's seed when she was barren in the womb. Another way of, of uh, bowing foolishly, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 6, the wise man Solomon writes, Suffer not that thy mouth cause thy flesh to sin. And so don't make 
a vow that's going to cause you to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angered at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? In Acts chapter 23, verse 12, And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, well, it was a vow, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Very foolish vow. Why was it a curse? If they never kill Paul, they would die from starvation. How foolish. Probably just a couple of people would be that foolish, right? But when we study the book of Acts, remember how many men there were present? Acts chapter 23, verse 13, and they were more than 40 which made this conspiracy. Not one or two, more than 40 men made a vow that they would eat, uh, would not eat nor drink until they had the life of Paul. They allowed their mouths to cause their flesh to sin. They wanted to slay an innocent man. They never were able to fulfill this oath because why? Because God used the Roman army to get him to Rome. He was under the protection of the Romans, and these men were never able to uh, meet the uh, ends of their conspiracy. Point number two we want to look at this morning is don't make vows on things that belong to God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. Jesus tells them to make no oaths at all. Ecclesiastes verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 5. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow. Why? Then that thou shouldest vow and not pay. We've already seen that if we make a vow to God, God requires us to pay. If we make a vow to man, we should be good on our word. Make no oath by heaven. Why? It is God's. God created it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 35, Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And so we shouldn't make no oath by the earth. Why? All on the earth is the Lord's. He created it as well. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, And, and God created the heavens and the earth. In Psalms chapter 50, verses 10 through 12, for every beast of the forest is mine. Don't make a vow against an animal. And the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountain and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. God owns everything. Make no oath by Jerusalem. Why? The temple is Jerusalem. It is God's city. He is that great king. Genesis chapter 24, verse 2. We're going to see uh, Abraham asking a servant to make a vow to him. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under thy thigh. And when we had studied the book of Genesis, uh, I had made uh, allusion to that this is kind of like our handshake. It be equivalent to our handshake. 
Genesis chapter 24, verse 33. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth. Again, this verse right here shows us that heavens is God and earth is God. But he's making him swear by the Lord. That thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanite among whom I dwell. Okay, and so Abraham made the servant swear by the Lord. The oath is to fulfill the God, fulfill God's desire for God's people to marry God's people. What will the servant have uh, have to do? In Genesis chapter twenty-four, verse four: But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Did the servant foolishly take it? Did he foolishly just accept it at this? No. Watch. Genesis 24, verse 5. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me onto this land. Well, what happens if this if I go into the land and there's not a woman I can bring back for your son Isaac? Must I then bring thy son again onto the land from whence thou camest? And so the servant wisely brings up a valid point. The woman has a right to say no. There may be no willing woman. What is Abraham's response? In Genesis chapter 24, verse 8, and the woman, and if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son my son thither again. And so what did he say? If the woman's not willing to come, you've done your, your part of the vow, and I will clear you from it. It was satisfactory on both parties. Genesis chapter 24, verse 9, And the servant put his hands under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning the matter. Afterwards, the servant sought the Lord's help. More wisdom on his part. Well, remember, this servant was trusted over all that Abraham had. It reminds us of who? Joseph. When he was in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar put him in charge of all that he had. And then he becomes second in command to only Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh puts everything into Joseph's hand. And so this servant was very wise. This servant was very trusted. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 12, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. He sought the Lord to help him in his task. He did not want to disappoint Abraham. Once he was cleared, most people may have not even cared if they completed the task or not. Well, I'm going to go in here. I don't find anybody willing. I can say I didn't find anybody. He said, help me find this lady that Abraham seeks for Isaac. Matthew chapter 5, verse 36. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Well, God created us. And so, so many times, you know, we, we hear people, I swear to my, my life, you know, and so don't do that. 
Your life is not yours to give in this sense. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, God speaking to Jeremiah, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. God formed us. He created us. After obedience to the gospel, your body and spirit belongs to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in what? Your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are to bring glory to God because our bodies are no longer ours. Our bodies are to be used for the service. Just like Jephthah's daughter's body was to be used for the service of the Lord. Her spirit was to be used for the service of the Lord. Jesus bought you with his blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when Paul is addressing the elders there in Ephesus, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul tells the church there in Corinth, he says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, we learn that the body and the church are one and the same, so the people are the church. The church has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That means anyone that's in the Lord's church has been bought with his blood. Therefore, your body and your spirit are no longer yours. They are God's. Point number three this morning is to keep it simple. Keep, keep, keep your responses to people simple. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And so when you say more than yea, or you say more than nay, you better be careful what you say. Yes, I can, or no, I can't. Jesus said, that's your, your response to people. I can either help you in this matter, or I can't help you. In James chapter 5, verse 12, James is going to uh, pretty much just follow this straight up. But above all things, my brethren, swear not. By heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. But let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. That word condemnation comes from the Greek word that means deceit. Remember, if we make a vow and we don't keep it, we have committed perjury. We have told an untruth. Making an oath to someone and not keeping it is deceptive. Especially when we're, we're bargaining for things and we say, if you do this, I'll do this. And they keep their end of the bargain and we do not. Titus chapter 2 verse 8. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil things to say of you. And so you should have sound speech. You should say yay or nay. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We should be found with integrity. We should be found honest when we say, when we enter into these agreements with people. Our integrity affects our influence on the world. And if you remember in the beginning of this chapter, we dealt with influence. If we have no integrity, no one will believe the very gospel that we preach, even though it may be what? True. When we preach it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writing to the church there at Philippi, he says that you may be what? Blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. If we're making vows and we're not keeping them, we're going to be with rebuke. Among whom ye shine as the light of the world. It's our influence. Our influence is being affected by our integrity. A firm handshake in our word will only be acceptable by those who know our character. And that's going away. Most people don't even do a handshake anymore. You can't trust anyone's word. Now we take oaths by what? Signing our names to legal documents. We go and purchase a car. If we do it with payments, we're saying that we're going to pay this payment on this date of every month until our debt is concluded. Romans chapter 1, verse 31. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable unmercy. Okay, and so we... We go, into, we go into a covenant with our banks and stuff, with these legal documents. Well, what is the danger of not honoring these legal contracts that we go into? Romans chapter 1, verse, 30, 30, verse 32, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they that which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do that. We cannot be covenant breakers. When we enter into a covenant with somebody, whether it's by vow or it's by legal documents, we are to what? Hold up our end of the bargain. We are not to act deceitfully with people. That leads us to the covenant that we are with God. How about the law of Moses? They were with a covenant the, the Jews, the Hebrews, they were in a covenant, the Israelites, with God under the law of Moses. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, And he, that's talking about Moses, took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be what? Obedient. They were making a vow to God that they would be faithful. Exodus chapter 24, verse 8. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it, what? On the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. He also made, he sprinkled the blood on the, cup, on the book. He was binding the people with the blood. They've already said they're going to do it. So we see that the people came in contact with the blood Binding them to the law of Moses. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8, the writer says, For finding fault with them. Well, it was with fault with the Israelites because they 
said they would keep it, but they did not keep it. He saith, Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, when Jesus is uh, introducing the Lord's Supper, he says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so the 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 fruit of the vine represents Jesus' blood. That blood that he shed on the cross is the blood of the New Testament, the new covenant. When we obey the gospel, we are making an oath to keep the law of Christ. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and what? Washed us from our sins in his own blood. At which time we come in contact with his blood. In Acts chapter 20, at, at what time? Acts chapter 22, verse 16. And now why tearest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling in the name of the Lord. This is what Ananias told Paul. He told him to be baptized to have the sins washed away by the blood of Christ. At baptism. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus makes a promise to us. He says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. All that live godly will suffer persecution. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison that you may be tried. And so there's going to be temptations along the way. Our faith is going to be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. It's going to, it's going to be hard. Be thou faithful until death. That's what God expects, is faithfulness. And I will give thee a crown of life. God only expects what he said, or what we said we would do, just as he expected of the children of Israel. We said, thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. I will do your will. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 8 through 11. The writer of the book of Hebrews is given a warning. He says, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my way. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Their hearts become not right with God. They no longer are keeping his ways, his commandments. And so God says, you're not going to enter into your rest. They didn't enter. How many of those children of Israel did not enter into the land of Canaan? We know the ones that were numbered, there was only two that entered into the land of Canaan, into their rest. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in, enter into the land of Canaan because of unbelief, unfaithfulness. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if. Okay, we'll get to live in heaven with Christ if. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast on the end. That's just being faithful until death. Until the end of our life or until the Lord comes back. If, if, he's, if we're still here when he comes back. God only expects faithfulness. And so when we obey the gospel, we have, we have taken an oath with God. Remember, we are the bride-to-be. And what's involved in marriage? Vows. And we're saying, God, I will live faithfully to thee. I will live from this day forward for you and for the Lord. And when we choose not to, we are breaking our vow to God. And so the, the book of the Bible is a great warning not to become unfaithful. We, we learn from the children of Israel so that we don't make the same mistakes they made. And so this morning, if there's any here that are not a Christian, that have not entered into that covenant with God, you can do so by obeying his gospel. It starts by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Just as the children of Israel had to hear the book of the covenant, we too have to hear the covenant that we will enter into. That covenant teaches us that Jesus Christ is Lord That he lived a sinless life, that he was buried in that borrowed tomb, and that he raised on the third day, and he's living today. That's what our faith is in. If we have faith in that, that will bring one to repentance. Without repentance, we cannot uh, please God. Without faith, we cannot please God. And so repentance isn't necessary because if you're living evilly, you've got to stop. And so you begin to live for the Lord because you said, I'm going to do what you ask me to do. And then you must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's one of the best confessions you'll ever make with, those, with that mouth. That you believe it is a declaration of your faith in Christ. That He is the Son of God. Well, if you have faith in the book, that would be easy to make. But from that day forward, you continue to profess and claim that he is the child of God, uh, that he is the son of God, and that the only way to become a child of God is by obedience to God's will. And then you must allow someone, just as Paul did, he allowed Ananias to immerse him in water to have his sins washed away. That's when you come in contact with the blood. That's when you are in that covenant relationship with God. That blood-bought institution you'll be added to in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as to be saved. At that point, you are no longer yours, you are God's, both body and spirit. And you must live faithful, as we have seen this morning in Revelation 2.10, faithful until the end, because if we do not, we will not be able to enter into our rest. We will not enter into that home in heaven. If there's anyone that has obeyed, but perhaps you have slipped along the way, you have not lived as faithfully as you should have to God, well, then you can have prayers made on your behalf, 
and you can be restored at this hour. If we can help you in either way, if you'll come to the front of us together, we stand and sing the song of encouragement.